All right, so uh, have you enjoyed our time in Malachi so far? It's been a, a good study. I see a few nods, so that's encouraging because, listen, Malachi, uh, the book Malachi is uh, extremely hard-hitting, extremely hard-hitting. It's a very short book, only 55 verses. You can read through it in about 12 minutes if you just sat down and read it. And it is to a people, the nation of Israel, uh, who have drifted into uh, spiritual apathy. They, they, they've kind of drifted into this half-hearted uh, worship of God, right? They are the people of God. There's no doubt about it. They are the nation of God. At verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. Look in your Bible right there. God starts by going, I have loved you. Like he starts the foundation of this hard-hitting book with like the foundation that we have to understand is that God loves us. God loved his people, and he, meaning he's loved them before, he loved them then, and he'll continue to love them because he's a covenant-keeping uh, God. And so... We have this hard-hitting book that that confronts a lot of areas in our life. And I want to reiterate that that God doesn't confront us, okay? God doesn't lay out the words in Malachi and other places in Scripture that are hard for us to hear uh, to, to make us feel bad. God confronts us and the Holy Spirit convicts us because of verse 2 that I just said. Because he loves us. God confronts us because he loves us. The Holy Spirit convicts us because that's God's uh, way of going, hey, I love you. You're my son. You're my daughter. This is Hebrews going, God disciplines those whom he loves. And so it should actually be an encouragement to us as sons and daughters of the king when we're confronted in the things like this, half-hearted worship, spiritual apathy. It is God's way of going, listen, I want to challenge you the way you think, the way you've been living because I love you. And I want the best for you. I want blessing for you. I want flourishing. I want you to know and live for me rightly. So I'm going to point out, I'm going to convict, I'm going to confront some of these things. And we've seen it. Like I said, half-hearted worship, faithful, faithlessness. We've seen that confronted here. Uh, evidence in the Israelites, a lack of covenant commitment to the Lord and also to their spouses. Last week, we talked about God confronting confused justice. And this week... We get probably to the section in Malachi, most of you, if you know anything about the prophet Malachi or the book Malachi, you know the topic of money. Because that's where Malachi, when it's most referenced, it's from this passage, it's from this section of scripture around money. Now, um, I don't know if this is just a, a pastor story or if this is actually true, but um, it, it's been said that uh, when crusaders, back in the day, these crusaders uh, would, would get baptized, um, they, would, they would go into the waters and they would take out their swords and they would ask to be fully baptized, fully submerged underwater, except for their swords. Like they would leave their swords out of the water and essentially as a way of going, hey, you can have all of me, right? I'm, I'm, I'm going to commit all of who I am except for the sword. I still want to do with my sword what I want to do fight and kill, right? Like, again, I don't know if that's a true story or if that's just a pastoral story that's, that's been made up. However, I think the idea still remains for us, the idea behind that, that oftentimes as believers, and remember Malachi is written to the people of God, for us as Christians or for us as disciples, we'll sing songs like we sing, rightly. And, and we'll say them and we'll use very extreme language about how we want to commit our whole lives, all of who I am. But yet when it really comes to it, when it really comes to submitting our life, right? And that's in water baptism, fully submerged under coming out, right? There are things that we have a tendency to want to hang outside the water, right? And I think for many believers, 
one of those things we still hold on to. I was like, you can have all of me. Do what you want with me. But the one thing I'm going to keep out here is my money, is my finances. You see, some of you are already uncomfortable today in church. And we're okay with that, by the way. Um, Maybe you come in here, you go, you know what? It's my first time here. Welcome to the parks. Um, I knew you were going to talk about money or you brought a neighbor or brought a friend. And here we go. We're talking about money. Um, uh, Let me tell you what we do at the parks. We preach through books of the Bible. We open the scriptures and we say what it says. And here we are in Malachi and what it talks about is money. And so we're going to talk about it and we're going to teach about it because we want God what to confront us because we know he loves us so that it might shape us and make us more into his image. And listen, our money is no exclusion to that. And so let's stand for the reading of God's word. Malachi chapter three, we'll begin in verse six. And in the top of my Bible, these are, these are added later. There's two words. Look in your Bibles. Is there two words? Cause it won't be on the screen behind me. It says, Robbing God. Woo! Like, that should get our attention. Okay, let's read God's word this morning. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. For the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the fields shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. All right. So in the book of Malachi, it has followed a theme. Each section that we have walked to follows a, a, a theme. And uh, to, I haven't shown you the outline of the theme. I've explained it, but I haven't shown it to you. So in this particular passage, I want to show you that outline. And so uh, Keith, if you could, you put that outline up. Every section we've walked through, right, over the last couple weeks has followed this theme. And this one, I think, in Malachi, this particular section in Malachi is one of the clearest sections in the entire book. And there's some really hard sections in this book to even understand in our context. However, this is not one of those, okay? This, we complicate this one, right? We kind of we try to like go real complicated on this so that we can go, I'm just so confused. I don't even know what to do. This one actually is pretty straightforward from the Lord to us this morning. And so I, I want to put up the outline and walk through the passages because then I want to pull out really the topic, the main topic that's taking place here in this text. And so if you have your Bible, you'll notice verse six is the foundation verse. And throughout Malachi, there are these foundation verses in each section. Typically, there is one, like I mentioned in chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you. That is really a foundation verse for the whole book. 
But in this section, the foundation verse is where God says, I do not change. God doesn't change. Like he's not here calling something from Israel that he hasn't been calling from Israel since the beginning of time. Right? He's not all of a sudden surprising them with a new command, with a new law. He's going, listen, I haven't changed. I don't change. Here's the reality, Israel. He's going to them. You've changed. You changed. As a sinful people, we understand that, right? We understand that we vacillate between things. We are, we are committed, then we're uncommitted. We're faithful, then we're unfaithful. We are passionate, then we, we lack passion, right? That's the whole premise of this book is the people who have drifted into spiritual apathy, that there was a change. Their zeal has turned into just religious routine. They're just mailing it in. And God's foundational verse for this section is this. I'm not like you. Praise God, right? I don't change. There's nothing in me that changes. And if there's one constant that you need to take to the bank, it's this fact. God does not change. Now back to chapter one, verse two. I love you. I don't change. I love you. I don't change. My love for you doesn't change. My love, God says for you, doesn't vacillate on your conditional, right? On on your changing, right? I applaud you one minute, then I'm not going to love you the next when when you're apathetic. God goes, no, I I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to convict you. I'm going to talk to you about hard things like money, like finances, like like, like your wealth, like your half-hearted worship. Because that's changed. Your money is evidence of how you've changed. You bringing those lame sacrifices to me are evidence of how you've changed. And then verse 7, we see the promise. So we see the foundation. I haven't changed. And the promise is return to me and I will return to you. He goes, Israel, once you see that you've changed, once you see that you've, you've walked away from me, here's the beautiful reality. When you return to me, I'm right there to receive you, right? This is not like, hey, we'll kind of meet in the middle. God's like, no, I'm there. I'm your father. I'm always pursuing you. I've always loved you. And when you turn, guess what? I'm there. It's the same message for us. It's the same message for us who who struggle. Those of us who are in maybe that place of, of apathy or disobedience, God is going, listen, when you return to me, When you turn, when you repent and turn, guess who's going to be right there? The God who does not change and who loves you. And the people of God in this question actually ask a proper question. In other sections, these questions have been like really indicting of God. This question, look at it in in verse 7b in your Bible. It says, how shall we return? God, how shall we do this? That's a question maybe some of you need to be asking this morning. Like, God, I've I've run from you. God, I I know I've been living in disobedience and in sin. God, I've been doing things that aren't aligned with your word in your way. God, I'm here this morning. How shall I return? That's what the nation of God was asking. And I love our Lord because he doesn't, he's not silent, Right? He tells them, and there's a lot of ways in which in Malachi, he's been telling them how to return. But in this one, he gets very specific. Because I think he knows the break when the reality of our giving or our tithe or generosity is separated from the heart and our obedience to God. He says, here's how I want you to return to me. 
stop robbing me and give me what's rightly mine. That's what he says right there in the text. Stop robbing me and give me what is rightly mine. And what is that? It's what he's asked for since Genesis. The tithe. The tithe. Now I'm gonna talk about what the tithe is here in just a minute. But I wanna finish this. And then the result, when a people stop robbing God, when they begin to give God what is rightly his, generously, the tithe, here's what God says. I will bless you and they'll be flourishing. That's what verses 10 through 12 are about. About the blessings God will pour out, right? About, about throwing, literally throwing open the windows of heaven and pouring out blessings upon his people when they stop robbing him and give God what is rightly his. And he's going, it's not just going to be blessings that you see and you experience. He goes, but the nations are going to see it. Those around you, those around you are going to peer in and go, what in the world? What is happening to those people? What's happening to that family? What's happening to that nation? God goes, listen, when you stop robbing me and you give me what's rightly mine, everyone around you will notice. This is not just an individual thing. This is a corporate thing as well. You see, this is a very straightforward text. Hinging on something called the tithe. Probably a fairly familiar term to most of us, to most of you in here. What is the tithe? The word tithe simply means tenth. It just means tenth. And so when God talks about the tithe, or when Malachi writes about the tithe, he is talking about the first 10% of produce, of, 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 of income, of what someone has. The first fruits, all right? And in the Old Testament, there were three particular tithes, and I'm not going to break this down uh, too far this morning, but there were three particular tithes, okay? There were two that were every year, and one tithe that was given uh, every third year, okay? So essentially this, that God called from his people 23.3% annually, all right? Keep that number in mind, all right? 23.3, biblically, in the Old Testament, that's, that's what we would, we would see from what God has commanded. But when we talk about it here, we're simply talking about 10%, okay? Listen, you can, you can donate 4% of your income, you can donate 6%, but you can't tithe 4%, okay? Like, that doesn't make sense with the term biblically. A tithe means a tenth. Now, let's talk about this concept of a tithe for just a second, okay? And I'm going to spend some time going through the text and looking at what it is. And, it, it, and here's why. Because I think it's oftentimes really, really confused. And I'll get through some of the roadblocks at the very end, but it's oftentimes written off as all Old Testament, or it's just like an optional thing. And I think what Malachi says here, because we've not struggled with this in any other uh, uh, interpretation of Malachi, Right, like where we were talking about covenantal faithfulness to our spouses. We weren't like, I think it's in Malachi, so it might be optional, right? Like it's Old Testament. No, right? Like, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, here, the way we're going to treat the tithe and talk about it um, is a form of radical generosity. And so the first thing I want us to see about the tithe is that tithing, giving 10% of your first fruits, right? The first set, first 10% of your income is Right? That's what's being instructed here in Malachi. There's not any way around it, right? For sure, not any less, probably more, actually. It's right, meaning it's obedient. It's biblical. And that's the question we should always start asking. Is the tithe biblical? Absolutely. 
From Genesis all the way to the end of the Old Testament here in Malachi, we see the tithe spoken about and taught about to the people of God. That this is a biblical practice for the people of God. You see, giving is really a spiritual thermometer for us. It gives a reading on where our hearts are in relationship to the Lord. In giving and generosity, they are all throughout the pages of Scripture, throughout the pages of Scripture. That's why we're confronted with it constantly. And one of the places that, that just struck me, and this is, this is maybe for some of you, you, you don't view this as a, a place of giving a whole lot, but I, I want to take you to a place where John the Baptist talks about giving. And John the Baptist in Luke chapter 3 is talking about repentance, okay? And what is repentance? Repentance literally means a change of heart, right? A change of heart that changes your direction in life. So if I'm repentant, it means that I have, the Holy Spirit has convicted me, I have confessed that sin, and I have changed direction. That's what repentance is, all right? And so John, when asked about, John the Baptist, when asked about repentance, look at this in verse 3, verse 8, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, okay? It's the first part. Bear fruits. So there's going to be results that flow from repentance. Naturally, yes, okay? These aren't things that, that make you pleasing before God or get acceptance before God. What makes you pleasing before God is Jesus, okay? What allows us to come before God in repentance is Christ. That's the foundation. But there's going to be, and I love it, it's plural, fruits here, not fruit of the Spirit. It's fruits, okay? What are the fruits of a repentant heart? Someone who has had a changed heart by the gospel of Jesus Christ. What does John say? The forerunner to Christ. Look at this. In verse, this is verses 10 through uh, 14. Next section, Keith. And the crowds asked him, right? What are those fruits? Same question I just asked. What then shall we do? And he answered them to the whole crowd. Whoever has two tunics, it is to share it with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Giving. Two tunics. Give them one. Put a percentage on that. It ain't a tithe, is it? That's 50%. That's going, listen, if you have two tunics and someone needs a tunic, give them your extra tunic. You want to know what fruits of repentance looks like? It looks like radical generosity. What we go is I have 34 tunics, okay? And I'm like, I don't know if I can spare one. I can spare one, okay? 33 tunics, that's all right. Okay, so that's the crowds. And maybe they didn't get that one because then the tax collectors come up to him, right? They weren't well looked upon, but they were asking about the Lord. What does it look like? And they also came to be baptized and said to him, teacher, what shall we do? Okay, the crowds asked, he answered them. Tax collectors, right? He says, collect no more than you are authorized to do. See, that's how tax collectors became so, so, so scummy and so grimy is because they just marked up the taxes, however high they wanted, and they took all that for themselves. And so John the Baptist looked at them and says, listen, you want to bear fruits with repentance? It looks like not taking any more than you are authorized. Not getting rich off all those people around you. See where he's tying repentance to in the fruits of repentance? Generosity, money, right? This is radical. Like the, these things to these people are radical. They're radical. Like there's no other way around it. Okay, so now you have a third group come to him as if they didn't get the first one with the crowds, they didn't get the second one with the tax collectors. Now we have the soldiers. And I love this because these are the people who are like coming to John the Baptist for like repentance. They're like asking about the Lord. And they asked him, and we, what shall we do? 
And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation and be content with your wages. So get this. John the Baptist, when talking about repentance and true life change, the first place he goes here in Luke chapter three is where? Generosity. To their money. Three different groups. The crowds, the tax collectors, and the soldiers. Like hitting everyone and knowing their positions and knowing the things probably that they struggled with or that they were more, had more tendency to do, like right with the soldiers. Hey, don't threaten people. Don't use your authority to extort them and take money from them. You want to know if there's been real heart change? You want to know if there's been a real repentant heart in you? Look at your generosity. Look at how you handle your finances. Maybe even look at how you're peering into this sermon. Money. Oh, we're going to talk about money in the church. Seriously. Let's not go there. Right? Dunk everything in me but my wallet. Right? That's that idea. You see, this is consistent with the gospel. This is consistent. This idea that John the Baptist is not some rogue idea that this crazy guy in the wilderness just had. This is consistent with the heart of the gospel. Paul would even use the same language, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, about Jesus. You know what the gospel is? Here it is. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Almost everyone in here could say that. You know the grace of Jesus Christ. You know the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that he has given you, freely given you, laid down his life for you, saved you, redeemed you, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. You want to talk about generosity? We can't even fathom that. But the heart of the gospel is this, that Jesus having everything, being the richest of all riches, having everything you can imagine, sitting at the right hand of the Father, gave it all up to come to earth, became literally poor. Jesus himself said that. Like, I don't even have have anywhere to lay my head, right? Foxes have holes. It's like he had nothing of earthly value, giving it all up. Why? So that his poverty might bring riches for you and me. That he who had everything gave up everything so that we might gain everything. Like that's generosity. Like that's the foundation that we set our feet on, that we are able to have these conversations about a tenth of our first fruits. And we're able to go, listen, a tenth is nothing in comparison to what Jesus came to give. Jesus gave 100%. That's what he gave. That's the foundation. That's what John is even talking about. Listen, these fruits are going to give evidence of what's really going on in your heart. You see, when we understand the freedom we have in Christ, we understand true riches. We understand true wealth. You see, you can have all of the money in the world and be absolutely spiritually bankrupt. You see, you can also have nothing materially. Nothing. 
and be spiritually rich. You see, that's the reality of Christ. That's the beauty of the gospel. And oftentimes to see the latter materially nothing and spiritually rich for us here in the U.S., we have to travel to foreign contexts, do we not? We have to travel to other countries. In almost every mission trip we've ever taken, that's one of the things that strikes people. Like we'll go to the slums of Vietnam. These places where you don't even know the kind of poverty that are there. But yet, because they have Christ, they have everything. They have everything, and there's a joy in that place. You see, when we have a right view of our spiritual wealth in Christ, true riches, money becomes what money is. It finds its proper place, and we can give it or spend it and share it. It's not our true wealth. Remember what we just sang, church. My wealth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want. Is that true? Like all my wealth is in the cross. True riches are found in him. And I've been given the riches of Christ. Like that's true freedom. That's true freedom from the God of money and finances that have a way of wrapping their hands around our lives. You see, instead of money being this God I have to live for because it gives me my significance and my security and control and comfort. Instead of that, I understand the greatness of what I have in Christ, the true riches. You see, if, if that's what money provides for you, security, comfort, control, significance, then you'll never let go of it. You'll never let go of it and you will never be generous with your money. And see what Malachi clearly tells us here through the people of God, the nation of Israel is this, that they were robbing him. They were robbing him by not giving him 10%, the first fruits of what they had. Um, now, I, I don't know, have you, have you ever had anything stolen from you? Have you ever had, I've been robbed twice. I don't know why. I'm just easy target maybe. Um, both times in college. And uh, one time it was in my car and uh, these guys had, had went through my whole car and uh, stole, looked for something. And what I had was like the first generation, the, the, the iPods, the, the white ones that store like 2,000 songs and they were like 800 bucks. Remember those? Like the, the, well, they stole that from me, right? Little did they know all it had on it was all of the Bible and sermons. Suckers, right? right maybe they met Jesus. I don't know. Um, but they stole it and they went through and they rummaged through everything. And I remember getting back in my car after that, cleaning it up and getting back in my car and just being like kind of violated. You know, and some of you've experienced I've just remember like somebody was in here going through my stuff. It was not theirs. And they took what was, what was mine. Now, this is me in a silly 98 Honda Accord, okay, getting an iPod stolen. This is the God of the universe going, you, you've robbed me. You, you, you've stolen something from me that is mine. You've taken that which is not yours. You see, interesting in the Old Testament, um, the phrase when talking about the tithe the word give the tithe is never used. Even though I've even probably used that in this, this talk this morning. 
the words always associated with the tithe, the, the first 10% being given to God is bringing, taking the tithe to God, or returning the tithe to God. You see, we don't give God what is already his. All of it's his. But what he asks of us is the first 10%, the first fruits, and we take it back to him. So is it right? Is it obedient? Is tithing biblical? Yes, yes, yes. Old Testament, Jesus himself, John the Baptist. But not only is it biblical, but because it's biblical, here's the second point. It's best. Tithing is best. We talked about this in the last series on authority, about, about Psalm, Psalm 16, right? Where it talks about the, 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 the lines of the Lord falling for his people in what? Pleasant places. Why are they pleasant? Because God gives them and he gives what's best. And so listen, the tithe isn't meant to be just this restrictive thing. It's meant to go, no, I want you to understand joy. I want you to understand freedom and, and, and delight and all of those things. I want you to see blessing and flourishing. And God goes, and listen, the way you're going to do that is not by being tethered to your finances. It's not by being tethered to what you have and materialism. It's by being generous. And God would go so far to say something he doesn't say in any place else in scripture. Look at it in your Bible. He says, put me to the test on this one. Put me to the test. He goes, I dare you. I dare you to put me to the test and see that I won't bless you and show up for you in a powerful way. And now listen, that is not manipulation. But hear me, when we are faithful and we are generous with what God has asked of us, we will see the windows of heaven pour out. We will see the hand of God's blessing toward us. Now, there has been a lot of garbage taught about that. This does not necessarily mean material. And that would be secondary to what he does primarily, which is that holiness grows, dependence grows, joy grows, worship grows, zeal and affections for the Lord. And he goes, listen, see that I won't pour myself out for you. Oh yeah, and he's gonna take care of you as well, right? Food and clothing and all of those things that he promises he will. And he goes, and listen, and the nations are gonna see this. And people are going to watch and be wowed by the care and concern God gives. But God says, listen, if you're going to hoard your resources, the windows of heaven will remain shut. And this makes sense, right? Why would God continue to pour out blessing on those who are going to hoard it? But who does God continue to pour himself in blessing upon those who are going to flow out with generosity in obedience? This is Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. It says, one who gives freely yet grows all the richer. One who does what? Gives freely. Of finances, of their lives, gives freely, generously. Grows the richer. That's a God principle. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Some of you are suffering like that because you think that in your hoarding, it's going to accomplish what God only wants to accomplish and can accomplish in your life. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters himself will be watered. If we trust God and give freely, God says, you will experience more of me. And God says, test me. Try me. Put me to the test. And this is, listen to me here very clearly. 
This is not like, well, I hope God does it. Do you remember the foundation? Remember the first part? What does God say? I I don't what? Change. God's not going to be like, yeah, that was true of me then, but you screwed up way, you delayed way too much. No, God says, I don't change. I don't change. This is true and will always be true of me. You see, giving, particularly of the tithe, is a statement of our dependence, our reliance, our trust. It's a statement of faith, right? But if you hold back, what are you stating about God? You're going, God, I I don't know. I I don't know that this 90% is going to get me through. You're questioning God. You're questioning your trust in him. And so I want to challenge you this morning with the challenge that God gives. Not, not an arbitrary challenge. I want to lay before you the challenge that God gives in Malachi. Test him. Test him. Test him. With the tithe, with radical generosity, test him and see if he does not prove faithful. You see, some of you aren't very intentional about your money and your finances. God is calling you this morning to an intentionality, a placing of him first. You say, well, I, I, I kind of give spontaneously. I kind of give when I can. Um, here's what I know about giving spontaneously is that you tend to keep more spontaneously. It's a reality. Tithing is best because it's biblical, because it's right. And third um, is this, as we wrap up really quickly, tithing is hard. Can we just all like, it's hard. It's hard until you commit to it. Until you practice it. Until this becomes a regular habit and pattern in your life. Because here's why. God shows up in powerful and profound ways, right? Materially and spiritually. And you're just like, what in the, why in the world would I not do this? Because I've seen God fling open the windows of heaven and I've seen his blessing. I've seen flourishing because of faithful obedience in this area. I, I remember as a kid, this is something that was drilled into me as a kid, both by the church and by my, my parents. And I just remember the all like, um, and I'd get 10 bucks for, you know, uh, doing chores or something like that. And, and, and I'd get to bring a dollar to church, okay? And I remember thinking, like, God is so cool that I get to keep nine, right? I get to keep nine. I just get to bring, like, that's what he asked me. I get to bring. But, and then what happens as those amounts grow larger? It becomes harder and harder. Like, the percentage hasn't changed, right? The tithe is the tithe. But it's just like it becomes more difficult and harder. Why? Because my hands gripped more tightly around it. This is something I I want us to instill in our kids and in our students, right? This is something of spiritual practice that if embedded into us, especially at an early age, we get to see the hand and power of God in profound ways. And then as we become adults, we go, why wouldn't I do this? I don't want to be guilty of robbing God, but also here's the joy. In giving to God, he pours himself out upon us. I don't want to miss that. I don't miss his blessing. I don't want to miss his presence. I don't want to miss his, his flourishing. But I do think there are some roadblocks. Maybe for some of you, you're going, hey, I, I would love to give 10%, but I, 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 I have so much debt. It's hard because I have so much uh, personal debt. Um, and I understand that. Um, but I would challenge you to evaluate how you handle your finances. And I would challenge you to do that in gospel community. 
We offered things here at the Park Church like FPU, Financial Peace University, other things like that, where you walk with somebody, maybe who's ahead of you, maybe who you respect in, in this area, in this arena, who can really analyze how you're handling your finances to get those things in order. Some of you are just so dependent on debt for status or for whatever. And my question to you, who really aren't looking to get out of debt, is I would ask, how long are you going to continue to rob God to pay people? Like, I think that's what Malachi would say to us in, in, in that arena. Maybe a roadblock for you is go, hey, this is, I mean, I, I, I really was enjoying this church till this sermon. Um, <laughs> and you go, this is just another church talking about money to stock their accounts and to, to build uh, other things. Um, that's just not the case here. And you can ask anyone about that in this community. Um, that's not our job. And, and I hope even things like the medical clinic and, and schools and, and feedings and all the things we could point to that come out of this community are because of your generosity. You see, this is not what we want from you. This is about what, what God wants from you, right? This is, this, is, this is not about us receiving. This is about what God wants for you. And we're going to teach his word faithful. And God's going, listen, there's, there's more available. There's more of me available to you as you walk in obedience, And the last uh, roadblock, I think, is this, and I hope I hit some of this earlier, is some of you who would say tithing is legalism. Like, Kyle, tithing is legalism. I've heard teachings about this. Like, we're under grace. We're in the new covenant. Uh, We aren't bound by the 10%. That's an Old Testament practice. Um, There are two distinct places in the New Testament where Jesus teaches about the tithe. Matthew 23 and Luke chapter 11. I'm not going to go over those this morning, but Jesus, they are teaching to religious leaders and also to his disciples and the audience, doubles down on the tithe still being in place in the New Testament. He's correcting the religious leaders, but his teaching is to the broader audience and also to us. And oftentimes that conversation is really about how do we escape the tithe? How do we escape the 10% and things like that? And so uh, I think Randy Alcorn, who writes on these things very well, I'd recommend any book that he writes. I think this quote uh, is very helpful. And these statistics are true, by the way. And so let me, let me read this quote about this point. He says, I've heard Christians argue often angrily that tithing is legalism. However, the average Amer- American Christian gives 2.5%. That's true. Even using 10% as a measure, the Israelites were four times more responsive to the law of Moses than the average American Christian is to the grace of Christ. When we as New Testament believers living in a far more affluent society than ancient Israel give only a fraction of that given by the poorest of Old Testament believers, we surely must reevaluate our concept of grace giving. And when you consider that we have the indwelling of the Spirit of God and they didn't, the contrast becomes even more glaring. If you fear legalism, fine. Start at 11 or 12%. Like, I think that's spot on. Tithing is not legalism. It's something taught about in the pages of Scripture. Tithing is a way of freedom and flourishing that God lays out for his people. And here's my close. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't. Instead, what he wants is your whole heart. That's what this is about. Your whole life, your whole heart. And some of you are walking in obedience in this area. And maybe this morning, um, as has occurred in my life, God is calling you to step out in faith again, where the tithe has just become religious routine 
and he's calling you to step out in more radical generosity. Others of you, God is calling you to reevaluate, to be obedient, to step out in faith and test him. Why? Because he wants to bless you. He wants your whole heart to be consumed by him and not tethered to anything this world has. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your gift of the word. And thank you for the work of the spirit in our hearts and in our lives. So Lord, I pray a simple prayer right now. Give us faith to obey. Give me faith to obey, to respond to you, to your grace and to the gospel of Jesus working those riches out in me. Free us from the things that tether us. Free us, so many of us who are just tethered to the security and comfort that money brings. God, you own it all. It's all yours. So let us freely bring back and return to you what you've asked of us. For your glory and our good, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen.